When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. 
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, joined today again by my friend Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Ken. How you doing? And no complaints at all. I, a very entertaining draft, I thought, from the Ravens. We're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the traditional things and not so traditional things we saw from DaCosta and the Ravens organization in this one. Yeah, sounds good. Why don't you start us off? I know the, the, the idea the idea was yours, and you have a lot of things I know to say about this draft. Oh, yeah, it's just um, more of DaCosta kind of forging his own path as far as uh, GM. I mean, he's still staying, staying true to a lot of the, you know, core foundational things that um, his mentor and longtime friend, still friend, um, Ozzie Newsom imparted on him while he was the assistant GM and working his way through the um, through the ranks. But um, just, just for as far as, from, you know, a value standpoint and understanding that and coveting picks and, you know, I, I, like where I thought he was going to, trade back like I, I i i really thought they were gonna he's gonna trade back with that for, with that second first round pick and you know like oh that's the typical aussie thing to do you know that's the ravens always do that they're gonna trade back you know i even almost queued up an article like ravens trade pick to you know whoever oh wait they still can pick i gotta change that <laughs> uh, and so um it's just a lot of non-traditional things that he's doing to forge his own path while still staying true to the ravens um values core values yeah, was, they did have an opportunity to trade back, I think. And, you know, it's a testament to Owe and who they think he can be that they stayed there. Because there were guys in the in the mid-rounds that could have helped the team. And, and they would have gotten, for that number 31 pick, they would have gotten, you know, a, a 600 JJ points. And you can see there's a lot of teams that w- would have fit somehow with a second and a fourth or a second and a third even um, that would have been interesting in terms of maybe getting a different player. Maybe a Creed Humphrey or somebody else would have been a guy they would have picked up a, on the offensive line. But they stuck to a player that they obviously liked, which is one of the things in reflecting on this draft I like about the, about hanging there at 31 and not trading the pick. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, if, I'm, I'm done, I think. I'll, yeah, I was going to say, I, I really, I really, it really kind of chapped my ass a little bit to the Chiefs land at Creed Humphrey. He's my favorite center in this draft. And I was like, oh, if we could have traded back, we could have, you know, got more got more picks and possibly could have got him. If we, or if we didn't give up 58 in the Orlando Brown trade, you know, we could have got him because the Chiefs ended up getting him at 63 and we would have picked that at 58. And, and I was just like, oh, man. But um, it's another thing that, like I said, like, to me, the difference between DaCosta and Ozzy is that, um, you know, DaCosta's not really the faith, afraid to take risk on well, high high ceiling potential guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we, we saw that. Somebody else asked me about Creed Humphrey today, and I said, you know, with the Ravens at 27, 31, and 94, they were basically out of the Creed Humphrey sweepstakes. They had to trade back to get him. If they'd reached for him at 27, that's how you lose a ton of value. Very true to the Ravens in that respect. Didn't reach for need at tw- at 31. And not that, not that pass rushers, not a need. It is. But it's also one where they're not fulfilling it, I don't think, this year with Owe. I think, you know, he's a player who's going to help them more in years two, three, four. I hope it's as quick as possible, his development. But the guy has a long way to go. Yeah, I think that um, he makes his, I guess, takes his most uh, strides, I guess, as a rookie. For me, I envision him as a rookie as a situational pass rusher, similar to what we saw in Terrell Suggs in his rookie year. Um, kind of two opposite sides of the spectrum as far as one guy's uber athletic and the other guy was kind of like, Thought as of not as much as of an athlete. I think you know Terrell Suggs kind of tested a little poorly coming out of college, whereas always tested off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah. 
Yeah, Oway uh, will be the best athlete on the Ravens probably for a long time. Uh, maybe he may be the best athlete the Ravens have ever had in terms of pure athletic profile. Uh, the thing I've said about him is that there will never be anybody who lines up against him who's going to be a better athlete. I think that's one of the interesting things because Oway, once he learns to make the other buy, make the first mistake, and how to counter that, he's going to be unstoppable as a pass rusher. But that's asking a lot. It's, it's, it's multiple levels of development to get there. Uh, but it'll be fun to see if it can happen uh, within a couple of years. Yeah, and that's like one of the biggest things that I've seen, like the difference between Ozzy's tenure and, and Eric's tenure, at least early on. Eric's not afraid to take, a, like for the longest time, you know, Ozzy was like one of those three, four-year starter guys who produced in college and, you know, had a lot of experience, whereas Eric DaCosta, he's done it two years in a row now. Patrick Queen last year, who was a one-year starter um, and from LSU, a place where they never draft, and he drafted the first LSU guy ever in team history and a guy who, like I said, didn't have extensive starting experience. And then you come back this year with a guy like, like Jason Owe. He only had, like, what, like seven or nine sacks in his entire college career, none last year. But the, but Eric's not afraid of, to bet on the upside and that those traits right. that the player showed in that you know short amount of time will translate to greater success at the next level. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting to watch away. And I, we've done the draft recap already and covered a lot of this. So I kind of I want to stay away from that. But you, you've hit, nailed it on the head is that he's a very high ceiling and probably also fairly a low four floor player during the initial four year contract, five year contract, if, if they can keep him for the entire time. Uh, it, it, I, I, it's just he's not a polished product in any way, shape or form like most first round picks have been. Um, I want to I want to go to a, something different, and that is a, a difference I saw from the DaCosta of old, the DaCosta of new. Now, you know, Eric got a lot of his um, um, reputation as a general manager from his small school scouting acumen, and they, they had a, a very broad net uh, to find players at small schools like Judon and Williams and Webb, and I'm sure we can think of plenty of others, but those are three good ones to start with um, over the years that, that were at small schools. And I thought if ever there was a year where the Ravens could find some small school gems where no one else would find them. This would be the year because, uh, you know, the, the guys didn't play last year at small schools, but the Ravens end up taking seven power five guys, one group of five guy in Stevens who played SMU uh, and zero small school draft picks. And so I think that's um, part of like a two prong thing. So part of it is a lot of the small schools, like you were talking about, they had their seasons delayed until the spring. Sure. So they're, they're playing right now. So a lot of those guys that Ravens ordinarily would have been scouting in the fall, they couldn't do that because those guys are playing right now. A few guys that opted, opted to go pro instead of playing in the spring, a guy who I I thought they probably would have. I thought they had their eye on is Spencer Brown from from Northern Iowa. I thought you know he was a possibility at, at ninety four before the Bills took him right before yeah, uh, they took sucks. Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, I was so upset. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, really the sucks. Bills spite me at every turn. And then and tw uh, twice with Doyle later too. Yes, they, they yes. Really I was just like, I feel like the Ravens back. were going to take that tackle, but then they just came in and swooped right in. Like you guys just signed Darrell Williams to an extension or whatever that right tackle. They had an amazing puff piece on them about. How I came, started from humble beginnings, and then you go and draft a guy like Spencer Brown. Where you don't even need him. Like we need a right tackle. <laughs> and um, and then the other another guy who I um who I had my eye on um was a uh, David Moore, the the guard center from Grambling State. And I thought he was definitely going to be in the Ravens' radar. I think he ended up actually going undrafted. I thought he was going to be at least like a mid round pick. Um, so yeah, except a lot a lot of the guys are playing in the spring right now. I feel like that kind of hurt the whole small school scouting thing. 
I mean, it obviously did. They didn't take anyone who didn't play in the fall, and that include opt-outs or anybody. And the Ravens had big needs uh, to fill. That's one of my other objections about their you know, strange way of doing business, we'll call it. Probably objection to the way the Ravens handled this draft. Uh, but, yeah, they just did not go over any of the small school guys. But, I mean, just the fact that they didn't play – the Ravens are supposed to be better than all the other teams at keeping track of this small school talent. It's out there. It was it was available in the draft. Those guys, you know, for the most part, the ones who were good already declared for the draft and they could have been had. But but, you know, the Ravens didn't draft a bunch of them. Now, do you think that might be a, uh, a byproduct of the Ravens kind of their scouting department kind of being picked clean over the years? Every time somebody gets a promotion elsewhere, they will always want to take one of the some of the Ravens guys with them. And those might have been somebody, some people who are on this Costas inner circle. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but you know, like they, Douglas say, yeah, yeah, might have been part of an inner, inner circle and like kind of took those. I don't want to say tricks of the trade, but like that that working knowledge of how to, of, you know, of the having trained eye to find those small school guys with them out of the building. I mean, I, I don't doubt that some of it has leaked out into the rest of the league, but the the um, the, the the methodology and and how you go about it shouldn't have left if Tacosta is still there. I mean, I you know Gregory Sanat didn't work out. Zach Sealer did. Uh, just didn't happen to work out for the Ravens. I mean, they've 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 been really good at going after these small school guys and taking their swings with them as necessary. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, of course. But uh, boy, to, they didn't do it this year. And, and you know, it's only eight picks. It's a small sample size. But it's still it was it was different than what my expectation was, given how much other teams. And by the way, this was true all over the league. The percentage of power five and group of five uh, schools were both way up and small school prospects were way down in terms of this draft. And uh, the Ravens followed right along with the rest of the league. Uh, do you think that might be because since he's like the general manager now and 2018 was the last year before he took over? And that's when they had you got like, you know, uh, like, um like uh, Sealer from Ferris State. You think because he's, you know, the kind of the big picture guy, now he's the GM, he doesn't really have his pulse on the, on, on the, on the small school scouting aspect as he once did? I would be surprised if he did not continue to direct it either very closely. I mean, if it's his baby, then he would either continue to direct it very closely. You move up in any organization a couple of times, you don't lose your will to oversee that thing. You, um, I'll, I'll tell a little story. I don't know how relevant people are going to find these, but as an actuary, I, you know, I, I, originally I was the jock who ran all the pricing runs for us and used our actuarial software to calculate pricing. And then you move up into the management and your first thing, at first you're kind of working closely with people and you understand the software well and you can go directly in it. Then you move up another level and you really lose touch with the software. But you can still look at it and see what's wrong quickly in terms of the output. And I think that's where DaCosta at furthest is right now, is is he understands what's not working if, if something comes to him and it doesn't look right. I think he knows exactly how to direct those scouts. I don't think he's he's been, uh, been lost from the process, really. So yeah, I can see the point, but uh, but I think I, I, I was just surprised that they didn't have a small school pick in, in a year like this. Yeah, 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 me too. I, I thought if any team was going to capitalize, it would have been the Ravens. All right, your turn. You got a, you got a, another thing you didn't. 
didn't like about this one? Uh, did we already touch on the receiver thing? I know we touched on it. Pre- in no, pre- go ahead. Okay. Um, so as we, you know, as we all know, um, the, uh, he kind of made uh, national headlines with this whole in- insulted by the whole perception of the wide receiver depth chart um, in the pre-draft presser, aka the Liars Luncheon, uh, more comically known. Um, and then you know, all that insulted by the way we got we like our guys and this 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 and that. And then with your first first round pick, you take a receiver. And it's just like, oh, you know, like, like to me, that was a, such a masterful misdirection on his part. Like, yeah, and, and, and we're going to we're going to lull the other teams in the false sense of security, thinking we're going to do the typical Ravens thing and that value of the receiver position early on in the draft. And, um, you know, you know, take a receiver anyways. And I think it just so happened that the guy that they wanted most. Um, that they feel like was going to be in the range fell to them, and it was kind of I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say you know BPA because maybe they may have had you know somebody a different position high, rated high, a little bit higher or just as much we don't know but um I just I just feel like it, the board felt perfectly for them and he even said that in his um in his uh, pre first round presser and I just think that whole uh, misdirection of the whole insulted thing really kind of um, threw us off the scent of what they were end up going to do anyways. Yeah, I don't know how much it threw other teams off, and that's really what matters. You know, other teams are out there and they're drafting and using their own philosophy, and I guarantee you, they're not—they're not—they're not buying any of that crap that DaCosta is slinging at the at the liars' lunch. But uh, it, it was interesting, and and you know, I think it's more of an interesting thing that you make a statement like that with the chance to kind of back yourself into a corner when. You, you, the the people who are really on notice now are the 2019 draftees, the the, the Brown and uh, um, Boykin, Boykin especially, of, yeah, Boykin especially in terms of getting their performance up or, or perhaps not being on the team because the Ravens cannot keep all these guys. Uh, they may trade somebody that could trade. To, I suppose they could trade a Duvernay. Um, you probably could trade Boykin. You might have to try and turn Boykin into a tight end, which I think is probably really wasting a lot of what he brings to the table in terms of, of his value on the outside. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I, I, I kind of would have preferred he just was mum entirely because I don't think there was any misdirection value to what he did. I think he just may have pissed off some of the people a little bit more that are in the building already. And obviously they're looking over their shoulders now. You You have to be. And if if you're Marquise Brown, you got to be wondering not if the Ravens are going to keep you for the next two years or three years, even with the with the additional one year, but whether they have a real interest in signing you long term. You just signed two you know, receivers or, or just drafted two receivers. You may not have a long term future with the Ravens. And in the case of Miles Boykin, you're worried about 2021. You might not be around for then. I, I think, you know. I would have preferred if he had said nothing. The linemen were already in fear of their jobs. Now the wide receivers are going to go to camp. They're going to have, I'm sure, a very competitive camp. Um, There may be some unhappy players among that group. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think. I mean, that was like kind of like the first like during the pre-draft uh, presser. That was like kind of the first time we kind of saw Eric kind of like kind of like you know get a little irritated because he knew the receiver question was coming, but he was like, "Look, you know, you look, you guys, you guys are acting like the guys we have in the building are chopped liver." And I, <laughs> I, you know, he's like, "Look, you know, I, you guys say take more swings at receiver. I've been taking more swings and higher swings at receiver. Like like we said, you know, pre pre-draft show like the only receiver he's taken lower than the fourth round since he's." 
been the GM was, was Prochet. And, you know, he got Wallace uh, during during this cycle, and he was, he's being touted as one of the you know biggest steals of the draft because he, he had a, a second, third-round grade, and they, he fell all the way to the fourth round. So he's taking more swings and higher swings on um, more highly touted players. But he's just like, hey, look, you guys, like I, 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 I could kind of feel the frustration in his voice a little bit when he answered that question. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it was interesting uh, the the way the way it came out. I, I just you know I, I guess I just don't put a lot of value in the liar's lunch. I, I just wish he hadn't have probably just wish he hadn't said it. I don't think it had any misdirection value. It's just a matter of of pissing off the players who are in house. Yeah. Go to my next thing here. I, I'll uh, I want to talk about two positions that got overlooked in this draft, and I think one of them it may have been a case of the best player available was never the best player available they thought. And the other case, I really am lost in terms of, of what they did. Uh, so at offensive tackle and defensive line, they have both places a, a big need. And they, they did sign Alejandro Villanueva. Really shows you just how much a vacancy at a position will cost you in terms of cap to fix it for a single year. And it's going to end up costing the Ravens, what, about $8 million, I think it is. Uh, yeah, two years, $14 million, $8 million guaranteed this year. $8 million guaranteed. So they cut him next year. They save the last six. That's his base salary for next year, which could happen, uh, particularly if he doesn't, doesn't play well or they don't really have a spot for him. Um, but that's, that's the problem. Stanley's injury has cost the Ravens a lot of money, and they didn't take a developmental tackle. We will never know if they would have taken Spencer Brown over Cleveland at 94. It certainly seemed like a reasonable thing at the time to me, to you as well. Yeah, most, most most certainly, yeah. Yeah, or if they might have taken Doyle later, um, the Ravens have an enormous um, bias for long arms. So it's not just me, guys. By the way, it, it's it's the Ravens as well. If you look at all the guys they've drafted to play tackle, they've all been long arm guys since Michael Orr, uh, who was at thirty three and a half inches, uh, and that didn't really work out. Uh, if you look back, uh, otherwise, the, the only guy they've lasted, drafted since 2011 with shorter than uh, 33 and a half inch arms was, um, blanking on the name, the center, Ryan Jensen, mm-hmm. who they never had any intention of keeping a tackle, although his draft position was tackle. Anyway, let me get to the real point here, and I'm sorry I'm taking so long getting this out mm-hmm. here, but the Ravens have a, a ton of age on the defensive line, and Whatever they do to solve their holes next year is going to cost them a ton of cap money, very similar to the situation with Villanueva this year. And it'll be in a year where they need to transfer money from defense to offense. I thought overlooking the defensive line in this draft is one of my biggest objections. I can understand not having the value picks at offensive tackle. I can't understand why they didn't try and draft a defensive lineman, particularly with their last pick with a couple guys still on the board. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple guys that both defensive line and offensive tackle I would have liked instead of, you know, Ben Mason. And I'm not poo-pooing on Ben Mason, but I was like, I think Stone Forsyth was still on the board. And there were um, a couple defensive tackles, I believe the one from BYU. Iris Tonga. Yeah, the one, the one that the Bears ended up taking in like the, the sixth or seventh round. I was like, oh my gosh! Like, I would like there were so many guys who I feel like you could have gotten that you know are probably going to sign elsewhere as priority free agents because you know you passed on them. And I'm just like, those guys would have would have served more. But like, I, I've even I've, I've talked about it all offseason. It's like, man, the Ravens need to get young, younger on the defensive line this offseason. Yeah, yeah, they had another guy there. They they missed out on the pit. Uh- Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. 
Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. A defensive lineman Twyman. Now I know there were questions about did he did he really stay in shape and things like that. So that's that's a serious concern. But they had a fifth round pick that could have gambled on that, and he had 12 sacks after, before he opted out in 2020. So it's it's really a question. If you had an opportunity to get a, a you know a good pass rusher, they also you know the, the other position they passed on, they had a chance, one of the early chances that would have really made sense to draft Barmore at either twenty seven or thirty one. He, he lasted until I think thirty thirty seven thirty eight. Yeah, the the Patriots traded up to get him. Yeah, so I mean he he was the best defensive lineman in the draft by leaps and bounds. He was head and shoulders above everybody else in the draft. And, uh, you know, a guy that they could have taken with either of those first two picks. And while I agree that Bateman was a plus pick, I'm not sure Barmore, from my perspective, and from what he would have saved the team in cap, wouldn't have been two pluses. And I'll go one step further. I think if they knew that they were going to get um, uh, the fourth round pick, uh, help me out for Tylen Wallace. Wallace. If they were going to get Tylen Wallace in the fourth round, if they knew that up front, then I think they probably would have drafted Barmore with one of those first two picks. And then uh, Davion Nixon lasted into the fifth round. And I was just like, man, all these yeah. defensive tackles that I like are falling, yeah. and they just keep passing over them. Like, when when is it when is it going to stop? Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was odd to see. All right, so that's my my kind of my second objection to this. What's what do you have as additional observations or interesting? Um, uh, so so you know, Ozzy historically likes you know going to the SEC, particularly out of Alabama. And what I've noticed from Eric in the last you know since he's been the GM, he's not afraid to go outside uh, to the other Power Five conferences. You know, he's drafted I don't know how many players from Oklahoma, and then the, I think he's taken like two or three from Ohio State the past past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely not afraid to go like go, go against the traditional grain. Whereas the Ravens historically loved Alabama guys, or or if they were going to go ACC Miami guys, I just think that. Kind of like broadening that net and kind of like not just focusing in on those on those preferred schools and kind of like casting that wider net. I think um, has really helped them during his tenure as GM as well. Okay, so a wider net within the Power Five because they did take seven of eight picks still from the Power Five. But you're saying yeah, you're yeah, just like not just SEC guys. I think I think yeah. Ben Cleveland was the only SEC guy that he, that he took this um this time around. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like that. I, you know, I wish that had meant that they got a small school player, of course, but uh, but it didn't this time around. I, I, I'll give you the other thing. And this is one I one thing I really liked about staying true to the Ravens are is they don't look just to this year to try and figure out what value is going to look like. And so with the cornerback position, very well set this year, no doubt about it. But they've got four guys that are coming due. 
They've got Tavon Young, who's playing for his contractual life, uh, for playing for the last year of his contract, this year at a lower salary. So we'll see if that works out. Hopefully he can stay healthy. They've got Jimmy Smith, who is in the fifth consecutive, it seems like, last year of his, of his mm-hmm. tenure with the Ravens, but we'll see if that if he gets signed. But he's, he is in the last year contractually. Uh, Marcus Peters it will be in the, in the last year's contract in 2022, which mean, that makes him an easy cut as well. Same as Young. They need a lot of money and cap for the offense, for Jackson, for Andrews' uh, contract. So it's quite possible that he'll be gone. And then the other is Anthony Averett, who is a fourth-year player. I think the Ravens maybe either don't they, – they probably like what they have, but they're also do not seem willing to commit to, say, a mid-range contract that would guarantee his uh, security and you know give the Ravens some, some confidence in having a good cornerback down the line. But something like three years, six million, I think Averett jumps on that probably at this point. Uh, no guarantee he gets that in a competitive market next year. Yeah, if, if he could, if they could get, if they could land him at cost, I think he, they definitely would, would re up on that. But they, like I said, they definitely drop with an eye towards the future at their position because, because mm-hmm. uh, you know they've really prioritized the secondary these la- these last you know like three four years really. Look, going back to 2017, five years or whatever, back when they got to Tony Jefferson and Eric Weddle. So um, second, secondary is a priority, and they love investing. I, I think now they're at the point where they want to invest, uh, invest more draft capital, more say than cap dollars, because they know they're going to spend on the offense here very, very soon. Right. I, yeah, I would agree with that. And they, they got two guys. Both of them could end up being cornerbacks. I mean, I, uh, to, to start with Wade, I think he's clearly the heir apparent to Tavon Young. Same here. M- maybe this year and, and almost definitely next year. And as much as I love Tavon, his inability to stay on the field, I think, really makes the last year of his contract very unlikely to be p- played out at that price. Yeah, I definitely think even if even if Tavon does you know, stay right, I think we could see a situation where they almost split time at manning the slot just because you know they might want to preserve Tavon or God forbid he suffers another injury or setback in his recovery that they might even want to split time between Wade and um and and Young just to kind of like and and also Wade might even see a good amount of time on the field anyways because a lot of teams are rolling out those four and five receiver sets sometimes yeah. especially in, Pitt, in, in Pittsburgh so would you rather have you know uh, a safety come down or have two stud slot corners and I think they'd rather do the letter. Yeah, last year they they were not really prepared with four cornerbacks uh, f- for those two you know the, the games that they see it. But they saw it in 2019. They saw it from Arizona. In 2020, they certainly saw it from Pittsburgh in both games. Uh, they ended up it was a Terrell Bonds uh, played a significant amount of safety in that first game in Baltimore and frankly contributed to the loss in that game. And and uh, I think the Ravens would would much rather have a, a second slot corner. It might, even that might not be enough. Brandon Stevens, the other the other pick they got, very interesting guy, and I think it's much more of a need pick uh, to make sure that their free safety situation is settled. But Brandon Stevens, I don't know what you've watched of him at SMU so far, but he played situationally by down at three different positions per game. So he's out there playing free safety, then they move him to slot corner on a play, and then they move him to outside corner on a play. You know. The the only Raven who's even been similar is Lardarius Webb, who played slot corner and outside corner within the same game. So he'd move into play nickel when they, they brought on a third cornerback in the game. But he never played safety in those games. And then he played safety later in his career in a different mm-hmm. season. They've never had anybody with, with Brandon Stevens' versatility uh, at the college level uh, used that way in the pro game. be interesting to see how they do that. 
Yeah, um, Eric Tocosti even said that, you know, we view him as a free safety, so I think that's a position that he starts out at. But if they need another outside corner in a pinch or if something happens and the opposing office rolls out some kind of crazy alignment, they, I, I, they, I think they'd have the confidence in him to, you know, send him out there either on an island or maybe even in the slot. Yeah, he's a big guy. So when, when other teams spread four, including a tight end, like, like Kansas City does with Kelsey, and that's another team where you're almost facing 10 personnel in that situation. Mm-hmm. If they only have, if Kelsey's the only tight end on the field, they have three wide receivers, one running back. You, you really kind of almost want four cornerbacks covering, or you want to have a very big safety. And, and I think Stevens gives you more of that ability uh, to, to cover a guy in the slot like a tight end. He's a bigger guy at 213 and, uh, and 6'1", so you get some of that. Uh, Wade is in interesting player to me because he's got some of the longest arms you'll ever see for a cornerback at 33 and a half inches his arm length is the same as tevin jenkins who is a you know the, the right tackle that the ravens one of the reasons i think they might have passed on him was arm length yeah most definitely uh, did you hear that the bears are going to have him play left tackle I, I heard that it's such a stretch. I, you know, I, I, I briefly tweeted about that today, but you know, it's it, there was some national guy who came out, Doug Farrar, I think it was, who said that you know, as much as I like Jensen, Jenkins, this doesn't make any sense, and and I completely agree. He makes sense in the Ravens system with those shorter arms to play on the right side because the tackle requirements are less. You know, the the. Mm-hmm. Tackle run blocking requirements are, are, are fairly simple. And it, it really did not make sense. The Bears moving him over to left tackle and, and cutting Leno, who's been serviceable, you know, for, for a number of years and been very durable. Um, surprising move by the Bears. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they let go Charles, Charles uh, Leno. So it's um, do or die for Jenkins on the left side now. Yeah. All right. Any uh, what else do you have to say about this draft? Anything else at the high level that was interesting to you? Um, no. It's like like I said, um, just uh, taking the swing on on the on the high potential guy more than more so than the, than the proven thing. Like even with even with Stevens, you're kind of uh, you're starting taking a taking a chance on on a potential that he projects more so than you know he, you're you proven that he's done this full-time in college or done it, done a particular thing full-time in college. I just think that um is putting a lot more stock in potential and less in safer picks than Ozzy did during his tenure. Yeah, I, I, you know, this was not an impressive year for the Ravens in terms of value on their picks. I thought, that, you know, it's okay, but I, I, and sometimes it's really hard to, to say this so soon. These guys have not played an NFL game yet, and I'm already discouraged with value. But I'll tell you what I mean. I really mean economy and not value. Uh, in the case of Stevens, I think they probably could have had him at least in the fourth round. I'm not sure if they could have had him in the fifth round. Um, it's not. I don't think everybody was gagaing over this guy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some other team sniffing around who wanted him at free safety, and you know Stevens tipped him off or whatever. But um, it seems like any kind of fear they had, they manufactured it in that room by themselves rather than on the market. And I, I'm just I'm not convinced that uh, uh, that they did a good job of assessing value there. Yeah, um, there are a couple picks like that. Like I said, the Mason pick, the Stevens yep. pick. And I was just like, whoa, like you could have got that guy way later. Like if they would have taken Tylen Wallace at 104 and Stevens at 131 or whatever. And you would be complaining. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't think nothing of it. You know, I'd be like, OK, you know, make typical fourth round pick, you know, special teams guy, whatever, whatever. But you take the guy at the bottom of the third where there's like plenty of other guys. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's kind of that's a bit of a stretch there. I don't know if anybody else was, was looking at him like that. To me, even if you swap Wade and Stevens 
I still say, hmm, that makes all kinds of sense. Steve yep. was a five, Wade's a three. Wade had the great, you know, 2019 at slot corner. And it completely makes sense based on the Ravens' need. It's a need pick. It's a value pick. I, you know, I, I like it a lot more. Uh, but that's not the way the board fell. And they got a great value, I think, in Wade. And they got kind of a meh value in uh, Stevens. They traded around a little bit late. They, they dropped down a level, reset some of their board into 2022, which I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So nice to get a pick in a in a year where you're gonna ha- where you're gonna know more about the board. So that's positive. But but I also thought they undid some of that when they drafted Ben Mason because I have to believe he was probably going to be available as a UDFA if they wanted him. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. And then also I was like, man, if you're going to trade pick two ten, just imagine all those defensive tackles, and offensive tackles that were still on the board at that point, <laughs> like the developmental guys. Like, man, if we we're going to trade that away, like. Sure. You could have you had Tonga for sure. I want to see where Twyman went now to see if he went after 210. Uh, I got to find this. Okay, well, I won't bother myself with it, I don't think, right now, but except I will. <laughs> uh, you know why you're looking at about just one more non draft related? 199. Yeah. Okay, 199. Okay, so yeah, he probably would have been gone. Um, but um, one last, I guess, non-draft related thing uh, as far as the difference between Eric DaCosta and, and Ozzy was um, that Eric is kind of not afraid to take more risks in terms of not just draft when it comes to the draft, but also like free agency and trades. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes they work out like, you know, like with um, Marcus Peters, Calais Campbell. Other times, you know, that, you know, via trade. Other times, you know, as far as free agency signings, Eric, you know, uh, not Eric, Errol Thomas didn't work out paid him a lot of money for a one-year rental and you know yeah he made the pro bowl but it wasn't the kind of return that you were expecting an original investment no. um and then some some people view the yanni kangagwe trade as a you know as a fail or whatever but at least it was a try and the way that the ravens covet picks and move up and down the board he's going to recoup that lost draft draft capital anyway so um i didn't i didn't see that really as a failure but some people saw that like, oh we didn't get hardly any sacks out of him it's a failure but like the, at least he's willing to take those kind of risks so i think that that's that's pretty cool on his part right i, I think that was a good risk and i'll give you another good risk that i've liked in the last few days bunch of people been been on me on Twitter about this, but I was like, you know, there's no reason for them to sign either Justin Houston or Alejandro Villanueva until at least May 3rd. And I get all this, we have to win right now. You don't understand, Ken. We have to win right now. The truth of the matter is, Eric DaCosta stuck to the Ravens' principles here and did exactly the right thing. Yep. And we don't have to wait for that to be proved right. We know right now on May 3rd, May 5th, actually, with with this uh, uh, these moves have been being made, that he already made the right move because he didn't surrender the pick to do it. Yeah, I, 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 look, we all knew what was coming. It was just like, you know, that whole living on, all based on fear, like, oh, we got to do this now. And, like, I remember reading an article, like, would Justin Houston be worth the fourth-round pick? Like, you know, like I was like, oh, well, in theory, yes, but for the Ravens' perspective, no. You can have the guy after the draft. If the guy's not in a rush to sign before the draft, then why sign him before the draft? Just because you think the other team's going to come in and swoop him off your feet? No. Like, you should just stick to your core principles because it's worked for, well so well for you in the past. Just stick to it. And now you got Alejandro Villanueva two, three days after the compensatory pick formula, and you don't give another pick for him. So, bam. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I think when you look at who's manufacturing that interest before the draft, I think it was all manuf- – the attempt to manufacture it was all his agent. 
Yeah. I, I don't think the, the, the notion that, you know, oh, there's 11 suitors out here and they're going to do it. I mean, we saw what, what was true with the Orlando Brown thing. No, I think most people had a higher price tag on Orlando Brown than a middle of the second round total value in terms of JJ points. Uh, you know, most people are saying, oh, let's get a low first. And, and the people who are the crazies are saying, let's get a first and a third or let's get a first and a second or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but but it, you know, people generally thought we'd get more than that. The market is generally less receptive to giving up a draft pick to a player you also have to pay full market value to. And they're, they're definitely paying full market value to Alejandro Villanueva, in my opinion. And they didn't have to pay a draft pick, fortunately. And I've been really against paying both. And I'm in the same exact spot with Justin Houston. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a Houston uh, you know, signing at the at the right price price at this point. Uh, it was one of those like the same kind of thing they signed Sammy Watkins for one of those heavily incentive laden contracts. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay with that. I'd be perfectly fine with that. But I'm, I'm I'm more in the camp of like, look, you know, you dress the position twice in the draft. Yeah, I would like a Houston. You know, if it doesn't happen, I'm not heartbroken over it. I do like the guys that they picked up in the draft. And I, I I just trust the Ravens to have a plan at that position. Like certain positions, I think they're going to have a plan for. Um, right tackle. Was I scared during the draft that they didn't at least take a developmental tackle? Yeah, sure. But as you can see, days after the draft, just the Ravens always have a plan in place. Whether it's Eric DaCosta calling the shots, Isaac Newsom calling the shots, the Ravens are always going to have a plan in place. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point to finish on because I, I think we, we found that even though the Aussie plan might differ from the DaCosta plan, I think we have seen that the Ravens have, have had a plan, generally speaking. And hopefully they, they end up looking back at this draft and saying, hey, this was a really good one. We got a couple stars out of this. Uh, and I hope they really get three guys out of this draft who are well above average talent, given the fact that they traded Orlando Brown to build up some additional draft capital. So not just three starters, but I'd like to see Cleveland, um, Away, and Bateman all, you know, maybe two out of three be stars and then get some real value incrementally from Wade and Stevens um, and perhaps Wallace as well would be another reasonable one. Where do you stand on that? What's a, what's a win from this draft for you? Um, a win of the eight-man draft class I feel like of at least half of them, you know, become, you know, star. I would say starters to stars, but like, you know, starters to solid contributors. Like, I'm not expecting, like, I know people are really hyping up the Wallace pick right now, even more so than a Bateman pick. But I just feel like if you can get solid contributions from at least at least four of those guys and even, you know, upper echelon contribution from a guy like Ben Cleveland and a Rashad Bateman just because they invest the high capital in him. I'd be perfectly fine with that. If, if Tylen Wallace, you know, you know, averages only. I don't. I don't. I want to. I don't want to guesstimate his target share, but if he only averages, you know, under, you know, between three to four hundred yards, uh, you know, in his career, I'm like with the Ravens. I'm fine with that as long as you know his um, his first down conversion rate is high, or if he catches touchdowns, if he's a consistent chain mover, all the things that he did well in college. If he does that at the pros, maybe not as often, but at a high level, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Good blocker. I want to see that always and, and yep. be supporting the run game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it was a fun draft. We had a real, real lot of fun watching it with uh, with a bunch of different people, a panel the first night and then the second night. And uh, how did you how did you spend your time watching this draft? Um, I, I enjoyed listening to you guys do your thing. But I also um, we did a live stream for Baltimore Beatdown. And that was um, that was really fun. Um, I got to hop on. Um, so I, I was at work when the draft first started um, for, for the first and second night. Um, but then as soon as I got home, um, I was reacting to the picks with some of the guys and um, I was watching it with, with, with my son on my knee. So it was, it was pretty nice. All right. 
All right, man. Uh, always great to have you on, Josh. Tell folks, folks where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me uh, find my work at uh, BaltimoreBeatdown.com and on Twitter at Josh Reed 907 all right. Outstanding. Folks, we're getting into that season where there's lots of time to do film study shorts. So if you have an idea, you're passionate about something, particularly about the draft, this was actually Josh's idea to talk about, you know, what traditional things and what non-traditional things, what misdirection from DaCosta came out of this draft. Please send me some bullets on it. We'll do it very quickly. And I uh, always enjoy talking football with somebody who's either passionate or knowledgeable or both. Uh, thank you for being both, Josh. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Talk to you next time on Film Study. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.